Hi, my name is Minda Hartz, and I'm your host of Secure the Seat, your weekly podcast that helps women of color secure their seat at the table. And as I've said before, it's not about us securing our seat. It's about creating a legacy and bringing other black and brown women along with us or underrepresented groups. Take a look around the room, see who is missing and bring them along with you. And if this is your first time listening to Secure the Seat, welcome. If you've been rocking with me since the first season or the last couple episodes, welcome back home. I like to have conversations that uplift us, but also make us think about what's going on in our own lives, but also in the workplace. And if you're not of color, I hope that you're taking notes and so how you can be a better advocate for those who don't look like you. So today's episode is really important to me, just like every other episode we do. But today I want to let you know about the Women of Color Equity Initiative. The database is live. I'm so excited to share that information with you. If you have signed up for the database, you would have received a notification letting you know that the database is live, ready to go, and it also um, documented how the database will work. But most importantly, the reason why I started the initiative is because women of color hold 11% of senior management positions, 8% middle management, and less than 4% of executive roles. And that's unacceptable, especially, I mean, the population, let's take black women in particular. I believe the, we make up 14, around 14% of the population. And that's not even reflected in most companies. Um, I was reading something about Facebook the other day and they said 2% of black women work at Facebook. Now that doesn't even make any sense, (laughs) but I'm not going to get on that high horse today. Uh, This week I have taken an oath of no complaining and I'm not a big complainer by nature, but I just wanted to look at my life differently, look at certain things that may irritate me differently, rather that be at my home or work, whatever the case may be. And I just wanted to serve this week in a spirit of gratitude and love. And if there's something that irritates me or makes me want to complain, then I thoughtfully and strategically think about ways to make those things better instead of complaining about them. And so it's been really good. I mean, I'm on my third day, obviously. Um, It's Wednesday when I'm recording this. And it's interesting (laughs) that um, it's just given me a whole new outlook. And I think that I I thought about my life. Uh, This past Sunday, I was invited to uh, a new church. Uh, Baptist Church was celebrating their 79th anniversary and they had a special guest and um, I went to hear him speak and he talked about love and he talked about everything that we do should be centered in love and the world would be a better place if we really did love one another and expand our concern for other people. And if we expand our concern for other people, then we're able to love other people. And it just made me think about my life and just widening the possibilities that seem like constraints. And so I tell you that because I hope that as you think about the next 30 days, you know, we're almost at the end of the finish line here in 2018, but just looking at things a little bit differently, seeing them with new, fresh eyes and the preacher that was preaching that day, he said that he's battling cancer for the third time. 
And uh, it just hit me really hard. And I thought about the love that he was talking about, obviously, is the love that we have for each other. But then also, if you believe in God, God's love for us. And how it's going to take another act of love to heal his body. And it just made me, again, look at my life and just be grateful and thankful. And for those who might have listened to a couple episodes uh, back, I had a major surgery over the summer. And sometimes those things shake you up, right? And they make you look at things much, much differently. And the things that I might have been complaining about before that don't seem so big anymore. And so it just reminded me that today is a blessing. And I'm thankful for you all for listening because you could be listening to any other podcast. God knows there's tons and tons of them. And so thank you for rocking with me. And if you've left a rating or a review, thank you so much. If you haven't had a chance to do that, please go and leave a rating or review, a positive one, (laughs) preferably. And let's send a signal to the powers that be that look at the metrics, that look at the data, and let them know that this is an important podcast. You know, many of you reach out to me in email or on instant messengers or DMs, and you let me know that you love the podcast. And I hope that you would do the same thing. Take one more step and leave me a rating or review. And if you have not joined the Women of Color Equity Initiative, if you are a woman of color and you want access to opportunities that will put you in a position to be in an equitable and inclusive environment toward the C-suite or in the C-suite, make sure you add your name there. And then if you are a company, if you have influence at a company, partner with me, go to mindahearts.com and let's create an equitable workplace. It's not about having a list of, or as Mitt Romney said, a binder full of women. That is not what this is about. This is not a database full of women of color. I mean, there's hundreds of women of color highly educated and skilled that you would be grateful and blessed if they would grace your table and secure their seat. But more importantly, I'm asking companies and organizations to partner to create an inclusive and equitable environment. When those women of color enter the doors that they feel included in what's going on, because it's for me, I don't want another woman of color walking in the doors of X company and feeling like, A, she's the only one and always feeling that way or feeling all these microaggressions and things like that. So there's certain things that we have to put in place before. So if you work at a company and there's no black or brown people or LGBTQ or disabled or uh, transgendered, if there's no folks like that in your building, what are you doing today to create an environment and when they do come that they feel included? And I think that's the real big piece of this puzzle too. Yes, I want to see those numbers 11, 8, and 4 increase, but I also want women of color to be happy where they're working. That's a thing. You can be happy where you're working. And so I don't want to get off on a tangent, but (laughs) today's episode is called Culturally Conscious. And my guest, I've been following her for a long time, and I'm so excited that uh, she said yes to secure the seat. Her name is Valencia D. Clay. She is a change maker. She is an educator. She calls herself a servant. I know that you're going to be inspired after you listen to this. And if you are inspired, make sure you support her. Go buy her books. Subscribe to her blog. Go to ValenciaDClay.com. You can go to MindaHearts.com in the show notes as well. 
and connect with her on Instagram. Just recently, Jada Pinkett Smith uh, shared a video of Valencia's on her own personal Instagram. So this young woman is amazing. And I know you're going to want to know her. Uh, and um, let me know what you think. Find me on the interwebs at mindahearts.com or where I'm most active on Twitter at mindahearts. And let me know what you think about today's episode. And let me give you a warning. We have a conversation and we could not think of who the gentleman was that was murdered in Louisiana. And it was Alton Sterling. So I just want to put that out there now. All right. Enjoy the episode. Valencia, welcome to Secure the Seat. How are you? Good. Thank you. Great. So tell our audience a little bit about you. Um, I teach eighth grade. I'm from New York. Um, this is my 11th year teaching. And I just, some days are hard, but overall, I love what I do. That's what's up. I've been following you for a while, and I'm just excited for our community. If they don't know you already, it's going to be a pleasure, and they're going to follow you and support everything you do. So without further ado, I want to ask you about a book you wrote called Soundless Cries Don't Lead to Healing. Tell us why you wrote that book, and what does it mean to be culturally conscious? So back in 2016, that was the summer where we had, I call it a red summer. Um, there were so many um, deaths by the hands of police in our community. Um, and typically, especially in 2016, when things like that would go viral, everyone on social media would have their own opinion. Um, and it was just really discouraging, uh, disheartening. And as a teacher, it was hard for me to watch it because a lot of people were speaking from such emotional places that there, and, and it makes sense, like we have to be emotional about these things, but there was so much anger that there was no true solution. And so I like literally tapped out of social media. I said nothing about what was going on and I just did not want to go online. I didn't want to read the news. I didn't want to see anything. Like at that point there were like four deaths. I think it was like Philando Castro. Um, well, it was, a, I forget his name, but he was like shot. He, he was shot, I think in the back or in the chest. He was laying on the ground. The one that was selling TVs outside of New Orleans, I think it was Baton Rouge. I cannot remember his name. Oh um, yeah. You know who I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There were so many, and it's sad that I can't remember his name because at this point there's been so many more black men and women and children murdered in this way um, with no justice. And so I was just over it. Um, and one night, and it was the summertime, it was like July, I woke up in the middle of the night and something in me said, you cannot ignore this, you have to write something, like you have to create something for people to teach. Because that was my issue is that we, we have a right to be angry, but we also have to be informative. And so I did not go to sleep that night. I did, I did not go back to sleep. I stayed up until probably like 5, 6 o'clock the next day. And I went to the library, and I just started sketching out what I wanted um, this content to look like. And so that's how Soundless Prize was born. Um, it was supposed to be a zine at first of like 10, 10, you know, critical thinking activities that you could do to do this work. Uh, I sent it to one of my friends who's an artist and an art teacher, and she was like, this is really ugly. I'm going to redo it. And that's how it came out to be, because um, I did it all by the computer. It was typed, like a Word document. And so she ended up redoing it with her handwriting. So that's all of her handwriting and hand drawing that brought that book together. Um, and so it was really a place of healing for me first, 
But be, I knew that because I had such a, um, I had only like 10,000 followers at the time. So I wasn't expecting it to like do anything, um, you know, drastic as far as changing. But I knew that it would plant a seed. And that's all that I wanted was for enough people to be able to say, this is how we should talk about um, brutality of our, you know, and the dehumanization of our people. This is how we should talk about black power versus white privilege. This is how we should figure out who we are first before we go into conversations where we're really either arguing based on someone else's point of view or just totally confused, you know? And so it was a book for self-work and, um, at this point, like, I want to do something else, but the topics change so much that it's, for me, it's like, I, I want to make sure that it's something that is grounded, not just in what social media says is an issue, but what is a real issue. And right now, you know, you see, like, melanin is popping everywhere, and you see natural hair, and people really think that things have changed when it comes to self self-esteem in our community but in reality in my classroom I have kids who are you know dark-skinned who feel like they're ugly and I'm talking about my boys a lot of people know me for the video with my student Janaya but right now it's my boys who are saying like I don't want to go with a black a dark-skinned girl because we're gonna have dark babies and I'm ugly because I'm dark-skinned it don't matter I know that I can still get girls like that like this this is not being seen um in social media and that's because a lot of the media that we subscribe to is run by people who are not a who are not really doing the work for us and so right now my my focus is on how do we help children create a different inner different inner brain map that helps them to really love who they are from within and on the outside you know yeah i mean that's a lot to unpack and i'm just happy that we have educators like you who are thinking this way because maybe um a caucasian educator might not be thinking about or resonate with what the young you know black boy might say about his color right she might just pass it off as all oh, he's exactly. just being some kind of way so holding right, that in brings me to your second question about the culturally conscious thing so at the time someone had coined the term culturally competent and I don't like the competent piece because it's really disturbing. I think culturally conscious allows us to elevate people for just simply starting with being aware. And then, you know, once you're aware, you can go through the process of making better decisions and managing your emotions. And But to be, to be competent versus conscious, it really makes people feel like, well, I'm not competent enough to do this work. And that's why we have a lot of white teachers who don't do that work because they don't feel like they're competent and you don't have to be. And so I was intentional about saying culturally conscious for that reason exactly. That makes a lot of sense. And you can still purchase that book. It's very relevant. So I'll make sure at mindahearts.com, it's in the show notes. So make sure that you, you pick that up. And so I'm glad that you put that out there. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you about is I heard a interview that you did a while back about the victim mentality. And I know when the work that I do is a lot of uh, ad advocacy for women of color in the workplace. And sometimes when we're hit with some of these inequalities, it's easy for us to become the victim. Obviously, there's systemic issues that are embedded. So, you know, we, we start from a different vantage point. But how can we shift our mindset to being more visionary in the workplace over victim? So that's a really tough question, because in order to, to really shift your mindset from being a victim, you have to be celebrated. 
Like I really know that things come from within, but to be able to feel safe, to be able to feel vulnerable, that comes from having leadership in the workplace that does that first. And so it's tough because in that same breath, we have women of color who are leaders who have to lead that work that aren't. Even in the classroom, we have a lot of broken teachers trying to teach our children. And there's no way in which we can heal if we don't heal ourselves first. And so the work that starts from within, I can't really speak to yet because I was able to stop being a victim because someone told me you're being a victim. You know what I mean? And so I was like, what? I didn't even get it. And then I did a lot more reading and I started to really start to look at myself. And I'm like, I am I am looking at my my childhood as a, as look what I've been through. And now I'm looking at my childhood, like, look what I overcame and look what you can do too, you know? And so we had so many people walking around with this mentality, not just from their childhood or their past, but from things that happen every day. You could get into a fight with your boss, not see the side that you played in it, the role that you played in it, right? And then you become the victim when really both of you brought some, some sort of animosity to that table. And so it really, it really doesn't start from within. It starts from people around you. But then the question of how do you get the people around you to do that or how do, how do you become that person is by listening to, I guess, things like this, where now you may not have had somebody in your circle necessarily tell you about yourself or talk to you about being a victim, but you're hearing someone like me or someone else do it. And so I say all of that to say that I think that a lot of us need to just continue telling our narrative in a way that brings the light out of the darkness. And the more we do that and the more we label the fact that we cannot be victims but be visionaries, be vic not be victims but be victorious, the more we do that with our platform, the more other people will be able to do that self-work. Ooh, I love that. I feel like if we were at church, I would just like run down the aisle because there's just so much <laughs> life to what, to what you just said. And, and that's important. And unfortunately, in the workplace, in our educational institutions, we're not always celebrated, as you said. And sometimes we have to do the reminding of ourselves that we are a victor and we are victorious. So I, I love the way that you put that. Um, the other thing I want to touch on, too, you're an educator and you call yourself a servant, which I really love that word. How can educators help the next generation not forget to dream? It's something as adults, because we've been through a lot of disappointment that we sometimes forget to do. Why is that still so important? The thing with imagination is that it's not as imaginary as we have been led to believe. If you can imagine something, you see it, guess what happens? It becomes real. And that goes to the smallest to the biggest. Literally this morning, I said to my partner, we were talking about representation matters, and I brought up Tatiana Ali being, um, she's not even, she, you know, I, I would consider her brown skin or dark skin, but many people probably would not. But I was making the point that she probably helped a lot of us during our generation feel beautiful, feel validated, feel like we mattered. But for me, who I said I resonated most with as a child was Jada Pinkett. And I said, you know, her being on um, a different world, like she was just so real, so raw, so hood, and she was still smart. And I felt like I was her, I was, I, I don't think I could have, I wasn't intellectually as smart as she was. Her character was on that show. I wish that I would have been, but I still felt like I could, I could be her. You know what I mean? She was, the way they portrayed her character to be rough around the edges. And I really feel like that's who she is, not rough around the edges now, but she's a real one. That's what I would, you know, I would, I would call that. And so the fact that I said that about her and seeing myself in her, I mean, even from set it off, 
you know, and that scene when yeah. she's at the banker's <laughs> banquet thing and she, you know, he brings her the dress and she just, you could see she felt uncomfortable, but she held her own. I have felt like that so many times in different spaces and places. Like those, those little clips were, were so much, so valued for me. Like for me to be able to even remember that in my 20s and 30s from seeing that movie when I was a kid. But the fact that I said that this morning, I feel like I'm going on a tangent, but stay with me. The fact that I said that this morning and then randomly she reposts my video and follows me today, that is no mistake. That is imagination. That is the power of affirmation. And so when I call myself a servant, it's because I know that being a teacher is not about leadership. It is about service to folks that are becoming the next leaders. And yes, I have to lead my class. But at the same time, I have to teach these kids how to lead the class as well because I can't do it alone. Absolutely not in the urban schools. Absolutely not. Like you got to make sure you leverage the leadership in your classroom, and you can't do that if you're not affirming these kids. If you're not telling them, you talk a lot. Maybe you need a talk show, you know, or you beat on my table too much. Let's go make some beats. Let's make like I got studio sessions for the kids to go to so they can start rapping. The kids that want to rap on Friday. Like these are the kinds of things that we as adults have to do for ourselves. Sit down, take a moment, imagine who you want to be, where you want to be. All it takes is imagining it first. It's going to happen. But after you imagine it, allow yourself to make a list and think about all those things that you want to do. And so that is not just being a leader. That is remembering the, the real purpose of us being here is to be servants, is to serve. And as you serve, don't get it twisted. The more you serve, the more the universe will serve you. And that's just, that's just, based off what I know from the power in which I have been able to see myself have. And that also helped me to stop being a victim because at some point I said, yo, I'm really powerful. I was like, yo, I'm really in control. And then I switched it. I was like, I'm not in control. The universe is in control, but I get to help. I get to be in the band. I get to play my role. And so it's an honor when you look at it like that, when you look at, when you start to go through something that's real, real hard and you stop and say, wait, it's an honor to go through this. Because I know that it's not just for me. It's for those that are coming after me or for those that are fighting with me. When you start to look at what your, your situation as a blessing and not a curse, you know what I mean? And so for, for, for all of us as educators, for all of us as adults, if we want this next generation to not forget to dream, we have to remember the power of our own dream. Mic drop. Uh, I love that. And, I, you know, one thing that we talk about on Secure the Seed all the time is it doesn't matter, you know, how many followers, who gives you the the cosign, whatever, whatever. If you do the work, everything else will will follow. And I just want to follow up. You do the work. You walk it like you talk it. And that's why you can have that that dream of resonating with Jada and then having that manifest in real life. You didn't have to beg her or slide up in her DMs or any of those things. Like it just you kept doing you. And I, I just want to impress upon the people listening that, you know, all you have to do is just continue to serve and the right people will notice the work that you do if you're in it for the right reasons. And sometimes not, you get lucky, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So yep, kudos exactly. to you. Um, that's yeah. And you're right. It really, it really isn't about who's following you or how many followers you have. Like that's one thing that a lot of people forget um, when they're, when they are trying their best to be, um, and I, they call it influencer, right? But the reality is you are influential in your work no matter who's watching you, no matter who's helping you, no matter what, because it's, ab it's about who you are helping. But at the same time, for me to be recognized by someone in, in her 
I, how do I say this? Her conscious level, like she she does the exact work that I'm teaching these children to do, and she's from this city. She's from Baltimore. The high school she went to is up the street from my high school. She went to the first art school of Baltimore. I work at an art school in Baltimore. I work at MICA, the college, and I work at design school. These are both art schools. So I am living her legacy. You know what I mean? And so for me, that that just means more than than the follow. It's it's For me, it's just one, another one of those, aha, see, the universe got it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's important. And I think I know sometimes, um, you know, a lot of people, we get stuck in the echo chambers and, but I think it's important for people to see that you are out there doing the work, you're doing what, you're practicing what you preach. And by doing that, the right people find you, you put the right things out into the atmosphere. And so, yes, you may have a high follower count, but you also have people who you're inspiring along the way. And I think those followers should also lead to impact. And that's why I appreciate the work that you do. It's not just, you. you know, influencer number. It's you're impacting the lives of the next generation and, and the current generation. So thank you. And I'm glad that, that people see that. And I know that people like Ms. Pinkett Smith are not the only one. So um, keep, keep doing that. And then also I wanted to talk to you about you get to help shape the next generation of students of color, women of color. And I'm curious from your standpoint as to what are some of the soft skills that you think that um, as a young adult, we can be investing in so that when we get to around our age, we're a little bit more prepared. I honestly feel like this is going to be broad, but over, overcoming really hard tasks, that's right now my students are reading um, a text that is very hard for them, and they keep giving up. This is now, tomorrow's going to be day three. We just finished the first two paragraphs. It's taken us two days to get through it. And I literally had to go home and recreate my entire lesson to scaffold even more for them. And what I said to them today was, you know, this is hard, and it's supposed to be hard. Math and science are not the only hard subjects. Reading is really hard. And I forced them to read three times, and I told them why. I said, there's a science behind it. If you do something hard for the very first time, your brain is in panic mode. Your brain is like, I don't want to do this. So you're going to fly. You're going to have fear. You know, flight or flight, you're going to be gone. You're going to lie. You're going you're gonna to say, no, I'm not doing it. But if you do it a second time, your brain gets used to it. Your brain's like, okay, this is not too bad. By the third time, you've got it. So you have to read this text three times. The first time, it's like, what are they talking about? The second time, it's like, okay, maybe I get it. The third time, now you're annotating and breaking it down so that you can actually comprehend it. And I watched these kids today finally drop their fear, finally drop their anxiety and say, we can do this. And so I feel like if we are not teaching people to do that as young people, they grow up to be adults who never want to try new things or who have, you know, anxiety attacks or go into deep depression when they get feedback about something that they're doing that they're really proud of, but that feedback might make them feel like they're not good enough. It's not that you're not good enough. It's that you have more to do. And, and that's how you become great at your craft, you know? And so I feel like when it comes to us as women overcoming barriers, we have done a really outstanding, you know, job thus far. We have, we have so much to be proud of and to celebrate. But what I see in my young girl that I'm afraid if I don't stop it now, it may not stop at the right time. And, and, and you know, just to go on a quick tangent, if you think about girls who, who find something hard, right, and they don't do it, but then they have the wrong type of encouragement for something else that they shouldn't be doing because they could have been doing something that actually they could do. You know, that challenge that they, that they didn't think they could overcome, overcome. And so 
they went on to do something that they should, you know, like there, there's just so many, so many reasons why we don't become mm-hmm. our best selves. You know, right. we hold ourselves back. And then we blame ourselves, like, I held myself back. I told myself no. We do tell ourselves no, but the reality is someone has to teach us how to tell ourselves, yes, you can. That has to be explicitly taught. And so that's a soft skill, I hope. Yes, no, <laughs> you hit it on the head. <laughs> you hit it on the head. I think we have to learn to invest in ourselves early, see ourselves as being at the table, and um, and also those critical thinking skills and comprehension that you were talking about with the reading, I think is key. Uh, so that that's what's up. And I would love to end on our bonus questions. And I am a lover of grits and rap lyrics. And I always ask my guests, so what is your favorite rap lyric and why? Hmm. I don't know if I have a favorite. Um, can when they go low, we go high be a rap lyric? Because I feel like Michelle ba- Michelle Obama dropped the bar when she said that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we we will remix that up in all kinds of ways. We we have to constantly right. <laughs> remind ourselves <laughs> of, of that. So yes, that works for me. Um, uh, the former first lady, she can always drop that bar anytime, and, and it'll never get old. So um, I like that one. And the show is called Secure the Seat. When I say that, what does it mean to you? Um, secure the seat to me means to really go for it and go for it in a way that you know it's yours. And that doesn't mean you even have to have your hands on it yet. If you're affirming, if you are, you know, truly affirming what you want to be, who you want to be, where you want to be, that is securing the seat. It's yours. I like that. And I would love for our guests to follow you, find you, support you. What's the best way to connect with you? Um, Instagram, my Instagram handle is Valencia underscore Valencia and Twitter Valencia D Clay. And and we oh, know and I'm my blog, Valencia's Garden, I forgot. Valencia'sgarden.com. Okay. <laughs> I know you enjoyed that episode with Valencia. Make sure you go to ValenciaDclay.com. Again, follow her on Twitter, Instagram, buy the book. All of that is on her website, but also at mine, Mindahearts.com. And going into the week. That just energized me, and I know that it energized you as well. Check out some of her videos online. You'll be so glad you did. And uh, I hope you all are doing well. The main thing about securing our seat is also being well, being mentally, physically, spiritually, financially secure. And so I hope that you're putting in the steps to make sure that you're where you want to be. And don't forget to dream. That's one thing that is so important. And I asked that question to Valencia because I did an interview with the Chicago Tribune a couple weeks ago. And one of the um, writer asked me, you know, what do you think young people need to do that we don't do as adults? And I said, we got to keep dreaming. We meet so many disappointments along the way that sometimes we just, we get real practical and realistic and we forget to dream. And sometimes our dreams aren't out of our scope. Like when I was younger, I dreamed to, (laughs) my dreams were very small because um, I grew up humble beginnings, but I thought, whoa, if I could just make $50,000, I will be rich. You know, that's get out of college, have my own apartment. You know, those were the kind of dreams that I had. Um, not bad dreams, right? But they were super duper practical. And now as an adult, I dream as big as can be. And because I realized that 
I have the power along with our creator to make these things happen. And I just want to encourage you to dream big and then put the action steps to get there. And so um, you do the work, the payoff comes. So don't worry about the follower account. Don't worry about all that other stuff. As you heard from Valencia's video, she's just doing what was true to her. And all these other things have come her way. So be inspired, be encouraged, and I hope you have a really great week. See you next Wednesday for another episode of Secure the Seat. Thank you.